The title of today's message is Justice for All. And you may recognize that phrase from our Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance, ironically, was written by a socialist minister in August of 1892. His name was Francis Bellamy. It was really originally published in the Youth's Companion on September 8, 1892. Bellamy had hoped the pledge would be used by citizens in any country. Its original form read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands. One nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Well, in 1923, the words, the flag of the United States of America were added, and in, uh, it was incorporated into our nation. And then in 1954... Uh, President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words under God so that we have its current rendering, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Today I want to think about that last phrase, justice for all, as we comb the verses of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. This is the first time I've ever preached out of the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a passage where God is giving instruction to His people on showing justice to those who need it. And so let's read together, beginning in verse 17. He says, You shall not pervert the justice that is due to the sojourner or to the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather grapes in your vineyard, You shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. This text in Deuteronomy chapter 24 is where God speaks to his people, reminding them to show justice to three groups of people that were typically marginalized and oft forgotten in that culture and in that society. It was the sojourner or the the, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. The foreigner was someone who had been transplanted from his homeland and now was living among the Jewish people and had really no roots or ties. Now, some of you know what that's like. Maybe you have moved to this area and your family is is far away. Grandmas and grandpas and uh, family gatherings, they're not existent because you, you can't get back there. You can't maintain that close proximity connection. But, you know, back then, being a foreigner was even more difficult because when you think about how important the family structure was to their culture and society, I mean, it was the, it was the, the grandparents would watch the kids so you could go to work, and often you trained your own son to take after you and the family business. Mothers would teach their daughters, and the family unit was, it was a tight knit and a very important fabric of their society. 
And all of a sudden, when you were pulled away from that, for whatever reason, uprooted and placed by yourself in a new community, it was a period of aloneness and often uh, job prospects and, and being able to connect and blend in with that community became very, very difficult, probably much more so than it is in our society today. And so God was concerned that the Jewish people looked after the Gentiles or the foreigners that had come to live in their midst. He also wanted them to look after the widows. Again, in that culture, a husband was the provider in the house. There weren't, there weren't a lot of job prospects for women. There was not opportunities to climb the social ladder. You couldn't take night classes or work a second job to make ends meet. If your husband died, it, it could have been a very, very difficult blow to your economic potentials. All of a sudden now, you, you could be at the risk of having nothing. And furthermore, there are always people waiting to exploit widows in that culture. And he told the Jewish people, listen, you need to care for the widows. And then finally in this passage, he mentions the orphans. Orphans are frequently mentioned in Scripture. In fact, more than 40 times, the Hebrew word for orphan that's used here refers to a child who is bereft of a father, whether or not his mother is still alive. Again, because of the way that culture was organized there, even if the child had a mother, it was still going to be a difficult go for that young boy or girl. And God calls them, the Jewish people, to look after these three groups of people. But today, while it's important for us to think about how we handle those who are new to our community, as we think about immigration and all of those hot-button issues, it's important that Christians care about foreigners. It's important that we as a church take care of our widows. The Bible calls us to that over and over. But today I want us to center in on what Scripture is calling us to do with regards to orphans. As I mentioned before, tomorrow is the 45th anniversary of the Roe versus Wade decision. And every year, Christian churches take a moment to think about the implications, the lives that have been snuffed out since that decision, the unborn. And if you've been here a few years, you know that I've, I've, I've taken this Sunday in January, to think about the Christian's role in helping protect the lives of the unborn. But sometimes I've heard non-Christians or those who would take another position on, on uh, pro-life issues challenge the church and say, well, wait a minute, you, 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 you want to rescue all of these unborn children, but what are you doing later on in life? What are you doing to help these teen mothers? What are you doing to help those, uh, those young children who are taken away because they were born into family situations that were very dangerous or unhealthy, and all of a sudden now they've been put into the foster care system? If you want to be pro-life, what are you doing about the rest of the continuum here? And I think it's a fair challenge and an important thing to understand what Scripture says with regards to caring for those who are fatherless, those who are orphans. You know, the, the need today is as great as ever to be involved in orphan care. In Michigan alone, there are approximately 14,000 children in the foster care system. Each year, approximately 3,000 of these children will become eligible for adoption. In fact, on average, there are at any given moment 300 children in Michigan 
who are in need of an adoptive home, ready to be adopted. There are many statistics that show the struggles that come alongside with being a foster child. 71% of foster girls are pregnant by the age of 21. One in four foster youth will be in prison within two years of leaving the foster care system. In fact, 80% of inmates on death row today are former foster youth. God is calling His people, the church, to rise up and be a light to these young boys and girls who desperately need the love of God. (coughs) Excuse me. 77% of Christians believe that they should be involved in foster care, but about only 5% are. So what is God calling us to do? I want to just look at three things from this text that I think that will challenge you and I to be more involved in caring for the orphans. The first one is to give justice to the helpless. Give justice to the helpless. He tells us in verse 17, you shall not pervert the justice due to the fatherless. I don't want you twisting things out of proportion, God says. I don't know if it was like this in in your home. It was like this when I was a kid. I see this with my own children. If you get a pie or your other favorite dessert out of the oven, and you cut pieces for your children, and you put them on a plate, and you set them at their spots on the table. I don't know if you ever found yourself doing this. Maybe you do this even as an adult. It's one of the first things that happen. They examine the other kids' plates. Because there is a deep-seated concern within the heart of every man, woman, and child that justice be done. And it is a great injustice when you see a sibling with a bigger piece of cherry pie than what you have. And at least in my household, we were quick quick to call foul. Why does he get a bigger piece? They're all the same. Oh, I beg your pardon. Let's get the scales out. They are not the same. (laughs) Kids have an incredible eye when it comes to size and a brownie or a piece of pie. It's unbelievable. They can't see the, the clothes that are scattered all over the room, but man, they can, they can pick out a fraction of an ounce different on a piece of pie. God says, I don't want you skewing justice. Way more important than dessert sizes. He says, I want you to make sure that, that you are caring for the poor and the weak and the marginalized in your culture and in your society. And he says to his people, it's your job. I don't want you to rely on the government or anybody else, the other people living in the land. He calls his people to take the the step to be proactive in making sure that these orphans get justice. As you know, in Israel's history, things did not go super well 
with them and being obedient to the things that God had, had told them. And so, like, as their history goes on, they rebel more and more and more and more, and they get further and further away from God. And he sends the prophets later on in the Old Testament to, as like a last chance to call them back. And if you read all the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, they all come back to this issue as being one of the reasons for punishment. All of them address the issue of not taking care of orphans. Um, if you're jotting notes and you want to write it down, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 26 through 29, Ezekiel chapter 22, verses 6 and 7. And in all of those places, God says to the people, part of the reason you're being judged is because you didn't show justice to the fatherless and the widows and the foreigners. God takes it very seriously when we, as, a, as his people, do not come alongside those who have been marginalized in our culture. And here's the reason. Because it goes to the very heart of who God is. Caring for orphans is a passion of God. Did you know that? In Psalm 68.5, write that one down, Psalm 68.5. I didn't put it on the screen, but Psalm 68.5 says this, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. The Bible says that God is father of the fatherless. He says, I identify myself as, as your protector, as your provider, as the one who comes alongside you and teaches you and loves you. And he has a special place in his heart for the children on this earth who don't have parents to lovingly care for them and point them to Jesus. I would also add, just by way of application, that if you don't have a father, this, this is a great reminder that your heavenly father is, is your dad. He's a father to the fatherless. Maybe you've lost your father. Maybe you never really had one. He wants you to know this morning that, that he lovingly cares for what you're going through that as a good father should, he can provide for your needs. He cares about your hurts. And the Bible says if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he's actually adopted you into his family and made you his own. What beautiful truths about the fatherhood of God. God cares very deeply that we give justice to the helpless, give justice to the orphans, because he himself is a father of the fatherless. The second thing I want us to see from this passage is that we're called to provide for the helpless, for the orphans. He gives them a very basic, uh, kind of an introductory course on how to meet some needs. I don't think this was all that he expected them to do for the fatherless, the widows, and the foreigners. But he says, basically, what I want you to do is when you go out into the fields, when you're reaping the grain, when you're uh, uh, shaking the olive trees, when you're out in the vineyards collecting your grapes, 
He basically says, I want you to leave some hanging around for these people to be able to come behind and have food to eat. He said, I don't know if you ever did this. Now, uh, we, we had a big garden growing up, and for the most part, picking fruits and vegetables, it was, it was work. It was not an enjoyable thing for us as kids. It was, it was a chore that we had to do because mom and dad said we had to do it. But one of the things I did enjoy was once a year, we would go blueberry picking. And we had this, this blueberry farm that we would go back to every year near Hastings, Michigan. And uh, the guy would... Um, give us kids such a hard time as we got there. He's like, all right, I need to weigh you beforehand so I can charge you for all the blueberries you're going to eat. And he used to scare us as kids into not eating a bunch. But one of the instructions that my mom gave us is that uh, she got tired of us just kind of wandering around. She said, I want you to clean a bush before you move on. And I don't know if you've ever been blueberry picking, but cleaning out a bush if you really do a good job, that takes a long time. They are in there, they're up there, they're down below. And, and, but she just got tired of us, do a little bit here, a little bit there. So she just pick that thing clean before you move on. I don't know how well we ever did at it, but I'll, I'll never forget. Those, were, those instructions were always there year in and year out. But God is telling the children of Israel not to do that. He says, I want you to leave some behind. I want you to have a system in place where you're providing for the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. Now, in our culture, and you, I'm not here to argue the merits of the government being involved in these things, but many Christians have stepped back and gone hands-off because we feel like the, it's the government's job. It's the government's job to deal with immigration. It's the government's job to, to take care of those who are financially struggling. It's the government's job to handle the, the whole orphan problem, and it can be a easy thing to say, I pay my taxes and, you know, I'm, 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 I can wash my hands of it. But it's not what God, God doesn't let us off the hook. He's talking to his people. He's not telling us to pass the buck. He says, I want you to be involved in this, bringing justice to the orphans, the widows, and the foreigners. And so as Christians, we need to think about what does this look like in our context, providing for the helpless. Most of us probably don't have orphan children uh, milling about in our gardens during the summer looking for a stray green bean or an ear of corn. And so we have to think about how we interpret this in our 21st century context. What does it look like for us to go out of our way to say, I'm going to help bring justice. I'm going to help provide for the needs of these orphans. At the end of our message this morning, we'll look at some practical ways that we can do that. But I want you to see here in verse 19, at the end of verse 19, that there is blessing associated with that. Kevin mentioned when he shared his adoption story that he and his wife were blessed from taking this step of faith. And he says um, that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. Do you know that there is a blessing from God in store for those who choose to serve the marginalized of our community? God promises that he is going to bless you. He doesn't detail what that's going to look like. He doesn't say you're going to all of a sudden have a, a blossoming bank account or uh, amazing health or uh, life will be smooth sailing from there on out. It's actually probably going to be quite the opposite, but he promises blessing in our life. Whatever he has in mind, 
He's going to reward those who choose to be faithful in obeying, obe, being obedient to this command. But as we think about these things, it's all done in the context, number three, of remembering that we too were once helpless. We too were once orphans. He reminded them in verse 22, he says, remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Remember, you too were people who were helpless. The Bible teaches us that remembering is a good thing. Now, for some of us, we're getting to a stage of life where it's getting harder and harder to remember things. That's why we've got these little devices that will beep and tell us when we've got to take things out of the oven or, or when we've got to go pick up a kid or, or whatever, uh, sticky notes. We, we have all kinds of things that, have to, that we need to help us remember. And God says, listen, as Christians, I want you to remember where you came from. I want you to remember what I've done in your life. And one of the things that should have been fresh on the mind of his people was that they had just spent hundreds of years in slavery in Egypt. That's kind of a big deal. And he says, don't you remember that there was nobody standing up for you? Don't you remember that there was nobody coming to your aid? There was nobody else that was there uh, lobbying for your release? Now, most of us have never witnessed slavery firsthand. We may have watched movies about it or read powerful books but we all know that slavery is, is a horrible institution. Whether you're talking about slavery in, in American context or back here in first century uh, um, uh, Roman culture that Paul would have been writing to, or even back in the Old Testament here, slavery was never a, like a favorable option for the slave. Even if you were treated fairly well, it was not anything that people really enjoyed signing up for. And he says, don't ever forget that you were there and you had no hope for rescue except for my grace. I set you free from bondage. I came alongside of you and helped you when you were helpless. And he says, now I want you to do the same for others. There are those in our culture, there are children in our foster care system today who have no other options. They, they don't have parents that can take care of them. They don't have people who are protecting them. And I wonder this morning if God is laying on hearts here to be involved in bridging this gap and in bringing justice to orphans who've been oppressed. I want you to turn with me to the book of Galatians for just a moment. Galatians chapter 4. In this book, Paul reminds the Galatian Christians where they had come from spiritually. And he tells them that it wasn't just the Israelites who were redeemed from bondage in Egypt, but it was you and I who were redeemed from bondage. He says, when the full, and in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, he says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. 
And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Think about the beauty of this. Not only were you fatherless, spiritually speaking, but he says you are a slave. Just imagine you're at the at the slave market, and it's auction day. And you know you're going somewhere that day. You don't know what kind of a master is going to snatch you up. If, if, if it's a good day, if it's a good situation, you may get some sort of a benevolent master who just maybe doesn't beat you quite as much. But you've, you've heard the horrors of the slave trade, and you, you know what could potentially await The bidders gather, and one by one, slaves are sold. And then you hear a voice that says, I choose you. And you're brought home, and you're told that you're not a slave anymore. You can hardly believe your ears. That's all you've known your whole life. The master says, no, 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 you're you're not a slave. You're my son now. Today you're going to be my daughter. And your shackles are traded for robes. You're no longer a slave, but an heir. That's the tremendous grace that God has shown to you and I, spiritually speaking. And God wants us as a church, as his followers, to be conduits of his grace to those who are fatherless. As believers, this is one of those areas where I don't think it's if... We want to be involved, but it's how God is calling us to be involved. We're called to protect the fatherless, the widows, and the sojourners, the foreigners. So we need to ask the Lord. He's already answered the question if we should be involved, but how, God? How would you have me be involved? And there are lots of opportunities for us in this culture. First, the first thing you can do is, is pray. You can pray for these kids. You can get on, um, I think it's um, the uh, Michigan Adoption Resource Exchange, something along those lines. You can Google it. And you can find kids who are up for adoption. You can just pray for them. Pray pray for them one by one by name. Find out the families in our church or in our community who are foster parents or adoptive parents and pray for them. Find out the needs that they have, and then, and then go beyond just praying, but find out ways to meet physical needs. Maybe you can organize a way to uh, uh, take care of their lawn for them during the summertime, shovel their driveway during the wintertime, find out meals, maybe, maybe have a team that makes, makes meals a couple of, couple of nights a month, or, or uh, even uh, you know, find ways to organize babysitting for them so that they can get out of the house and these parents can have dates and and reconnect. 
get licensed to become a respite care provider so that when uh, all hell is breaking loose with the several foster children that they have, that they can, they can hand them off to you and, and you can just, just be a, 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 a you know, stream of grace to them and, and give them a, a couple of days of respite. There are so many different ways that we as a church can connect with adoptive and foster parents in our church, in our community. But maybe this morning, God is calling you to go even beyond that, and maybe God is laying on your heart to become a foster or adoptive parent. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's working in your life. I've done it. I know how it goes. You feel the burden for whatever it is. In this case, we're talking adoption and foster care. And then you begin on your drive home to think of all of the reasons why you couldn't do it. <laughs> Gotta be a lot of time. Gotta go to a bunch of classes. Might be money involved, sacrifice. Yeah, we got, we've just got so much going on. It's not gonna work. And you talk yourself out of listening to the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like when a missionary speaker comes to speak and is challenging you uh, to go into the mission field and you know God's calling you to do something and then you just kind of push it aside and say, well, I'll give a little extra next week and we'll call it good. But God is maybe this morning calling you to go beyond that. Maybe this morning he's laying on your heart to be a foster parent, to find one of these 3,000 children that are going to come up for adoption in Michigan this year. You might be saying to yourself, there's no way. It's fine for you. That's all well enough, but there's no way I could do this. Listen, that's kind of the point of the Christian life is that God calls you and I to do stuff that we can't do. If we could do it, we wouldn't need Jesus. So every day God calls us to love somebody we can't love, to share the gospel with somebody when we don't have the words to say. God calls you to, to, to parent when, when you don't have any clue what you're doing and you desperately need his grace. God calls you to serve in the church when, when you feel just empty and powerless. That's why Jesus said, I'm going to leave my comfort, I'm going to leave my spirit with you. So that you can be enabled to do what you couldn't otherwise do. And as you choose to step out in obedience to what God is calling you to do, you will understand the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He said, his power is made perfect in my weakness. For when I am weak, he is strong. This morning, if God is calling you to be more deeply involved in orphan care, I want to just give you uh, a simple challenge here. I got a letter this week from Representative Wentworth uh, just challenging uh, churches to be more involved in this realm. And it was just neat that he had no idea I was preaching this, and, and it was just neat that the letter came at the same time. And so on, uh, on February 11th, there's going to be a foster care awareness event that he's going to be at at the Riverwalk Place in Gladwell. And I just want to challenge you, if God is at all laying this on your heart, if God's Spirit is convicting you here, I want you to go before him today 
You get home after lunch, the ball game's not on until this, later this afternoon. So you got, you got a couple hours to just pray before the Lord and say, God, is, is this you talking to me? Is this your voice that I'm hearing? To, to stand in the gap and, and be one who shows justice in a very real and in, in a hands-on way to the fatherless in our culture. If for some reason you can't make that event, uh, he included his, his contact information and you can get a hold of his office to learn a little bit more of that. We have people in our church uh, who have, have gone through adoption and foster care, we can connect you with and you can ask uh, all those questions that might be running around in your mind. They would be more than happy to help. I want to close with this verse. James chapter 1, verse 27 says, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. God is calling us to be the kind of people who show justice toward all. What's he calling you to do based on these verses that we've looked at this morning? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that you have brought us into your family. The glorious news of the gospel tells us that anyone who trusts Jesus automatically becomes a son or daughter of his. What incredible news. And for those who grew up fatherless or difficult home situations, some of us have just latched onto these precious truths of spiritual adoption and they are just a, a bedrock for us in times of difficulties. God, thank you that you have adopted us as your sons and daughters. But Lord, help us to go beyond what we've received to what you're calling us to give and how you are calling us to be involved in bringing justice to the marginalized in our culture. And in this day, as we think about the sanctity of human life, Lord, we want to specifically ask that you would be at work in our hearts to show us how we can do a better job caring for orphans, for those in foster care, in those families who have been involved in, in adoption and, and foster parenting. Lord God, we thank you for your spirit who enables us to do what we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. We thank you for your grace that goes with us each and every step of the way. God, may your blessings be upon my brothers and sisters as they go forth. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.